What starts the process of seeing eyes and trusting hearts? To come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord and walk with Him all the days of your life. And be confident in those last twilight moments of life as you feel your spirit leaving and heading off to heaven. What gives you that kind of faith? What starts that process where you believe and trust and you know that it's not just a series of beautiful thoughts and wonderful words, but it's a relationship, one that's culminated in trust and one that in the storms of life does not give up and walk away. I want to think about that for several weeks and understand the reality of what God wants us to know as we walk on that road to His righteousness. Because truly where faith begins matters to us today in a mighty way. For Mary Magdalene, it was there at the garden tomb. She trusted and she believed. And she went there with a set of expectations. And I have to honestly say, I don't think that... uh, the disciples and those who followed Jesus listened any better than a group of school children on their first day in class. They were enamored with Him. They believed Him and they trusted Him. They just didn't pay attention to what He was saying. And He said so much that was outside the framework of what they really could understand. There was nothing to compare with what Jesus was offering them. And when Mary Magdalene came there and and thought that someone had stolen his body, she was giving the human reaction to that. When she realized that, she thought they had taken him away. It's amazing how these people spent three years with Jesus. And not just occasionally, but habitually, daily, regularly with him. And he spoke so often of what would happen, and so plainly, and yet somehow they weren't prepared. My mother and father punished us growing up. They made us go to a Christian school. And I was amazed the similarities between reform school and a Christian school. We were, we were restricted. We had to go to chapel every day. And they gave us tests after chapel. You better be thankful that you're not in a Christian school right now, and I'm giving you a pop quiz afterwards. It's frightening when you think about that. But the reality is, as we are with the Lord, we're to grow and mature and understand One of the most frightening phrases I've ever said to a group of church members, I said about 22 years ago, when I went before a group that had gone through a study for 12 weeks entitled, Share Jesus Without Fear. And I said, everybody put your books away. We are getting on a bus and we are going to downtown Atlanta and we're going to share our faith. I thought they were going to have a heart attack. They were terrified. Many of them had memorized the entire book, and they said, we're not ready to do that. And I said, of course you're not, because you're not going to do it. The Holy Spirit's going to do it. We're going to go, and we're going to be faithful, and we're going to trust the Holy Spirit to speak through you words of truth. We came back after an hour and 45 minutes. We'd planned on going 35 minutes. I've never seen a group of people so excited 
And I asked them as we got back to the church before we got off the bus, I said, tell me something that happened today that has changed your life. And everybody's hand went up just about. And the common theme was this. We didn't know what to say, but somehow God spoke through us, and that's never happened before. We trusted Him. We put ourselves in a place that, that we had nothing else we could do but trust Him. And it was amazing what He had accomplished. Two people got saved that night. And that church changed its entire idea about what they were there for. When Peter and John arrived at the tomb, it was as if Jesus had left the grave clothes behind. Even the napkin that would cover his head, for they would anoint a body with all sorts of spices and then cover the head with a very stiff, folded linen that would be opened out. And yet he removed it and folded it and laid it to the side. At a table dining then, just like in a table dining today, when you complete your meal, your napkin being on one of your legs, if you're neat and if you're sloppy, tucked into your collar like most people, especially if you eat spaghetti, we will fold it and lay it beside our setting there to indicate we're finished. They knew what Jesus was saying. It is finished. It's settled. It's over with. It's, it's taken care of. But I want to think today about faith that looks out and reaches out to that that, that, that will change you. Faith that will move you, that will transport you from where you are. And you may be in the process of growing right now, and, and you enjoy that growth, and you enjoy that faith and that security. But if you're not giving out for others, if you're not sharing with them the truth of the gospel, God has not perfected in you everything He wants to do. You are not nearly as fulfilled in your faith as you should be. The first thing I want you to realize in that faith developing is this. Salvation is not an event. It's a process. Now, we're an event-driven people, and, and folks will relate back. They'll say, you know, I was baptized when I was eight years old, or when I was in the fifth grade or sixth grade, I, I went forward in church. And that's just one part of the salvation experience. Truly, you're on the road to salvation all the days of your life. And you continue that process. And you never fail to do that. This weekend has been a difficult weekend for me for a lot of reasons. But mainly because yesterday morning at 9.15, one of the most wonderful people I've ever known in my Christian life as a pastor went home to be with the Lord. When I met Bill Mott, all I knew was he had an apron on and people did what he said. They were meeting across the street in McCrumman Hall because y'all were in the process of renovating the Ed building next door. And as I got to know that man, I watched him and I observed a lot about him. Number one, what did he always have in his pocket on Sunday mornings under his apron? Hubba Bubba. And he would just walk up to a child, wouldn't ask them or anything, but he'd just hand them some gum. You know what he was really doing? He was not trying to generate business for the dentist in Selma, by the way. That's not what it was about. He was building a relationship. 
of trust. He understood something about young people that some teachers don't realize. A child doesn't listen until a child trusts you. And he built that trust. He knew how to do it. Those of you sitting in this church know that. Even his granddaughter knows that. He did that with everyone. Faith was not something that he talked about. It was something he lived. He did that with the the most scruffy group of people I've ever met, the Mavericks. The group that that the little old ladies in this church 50 plus years ago didn't want around because they were too noisy. The name Maverick was not his name. It was given by one of those ladies. But there are many, many, many Mavericks in heaven because he cared. That's what I'm talking about in faith. It's not an event, but a process. Mr. Mott completed his journey of faith yesterday morning at 9.15. And really all he did was transfer from one group of Mavericks to another. The ones up there are a lot better than the ones here. But I know they were excited to see him. Jesus loves different, and I'm so thankful for that. And it's not just the process of moving through belief and trust and knowing that He will be there for you through the storms of life. Even in the end of life, we can be confident that He is there. But Jesus loves different people. He's not cookie cutter in anything. He didn't make two people exactly alike. I'm a twin, and I know that. We're, you know, twins are not exactly alike. My mother was a twin. My grandmother was a twin. I've got a set of twin sisters. I have three sets of twin aunts. And the ones that are called identical are not identical. They're all unique. God likes different. He enjoys it. He revels in it. He celebrates it. God loves to create and be creative in his creation. But he also loves to be different in those that he redeems and develops to serve. And that's why you're here. That's why we as First Baptist Church of Selma use many different avenues to minister. We support the traditional ways that Southern Baptists support, the cooperative program, Annie Armstrong, Lottie Moon, uh, the Kathleen Mallory, uh, the uh, state missions, all those things we give to. But we have unique ways of ministering. And we will always have that. Because God made us different. And He brings us together to do that. In our scripture today, we find that, that these men and women began the process in many different ways. Many different ways. I've asked people before, when did Simon Peter become a Christian? It's very simple. When Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, it wasn't when Jesus said that. It was at the moment that Simon Peter let go of his nets, he turned and he walked away, and he walked toward Jesus. Now, was he perfect? No. Wasn't everything he said just just glorious? No, it was sort of like us. It was hit or miss. But he denied the Lord three times publicly. Yes, he did. The Lord told him he would do that. But Jesus also restored him to ministry, just like he restores us. 
Look around you at the empty pew spaces here that have not been occupied for a while, and you will see seats where people should be who have fallen at some point in their life, and they've not been willing to let the Lord restore them, and He wants to do that. He loves to bring us back because sometimes through that, what we see as a failure, He sees as an opportunity to educate us, to prepare us, to make us stronger, to restore us in a way that we never imagined that we could be. You know, God isn't afraid to say, try me and test me. Come and visit. Talk to me. Read my word. Check it out for yourself, and, and you'll find out who God really is. Some people want to create God as they imagine Him. You can't do that. You've got to have an open mind and an open heart and let Him enter in and encounter you in a special way. Our God understands our weaknesses and our frailties. He knows that when we're frustrated with life and, and we need someone to come alongside, He knows that. He made us. He didn't make us that way. Many of our flaws and failures are part of our inability to trust Him. But He wants to build and shore us up again so that we'll be okay. He's preparing us for something that's special. Not just in this world, but in the next. And we have to be willing to listen, to learn, and to obey. But remember this, each personal encounter you have with Him creates faith, if you will allow it to. Some people have storms in life, and those storms set them aside, and, and they never get back on the road to faith, and, and that's their fault. Because every encounter creates an opportunity to trust Him greater. To realize that maybe we need to let go and let Him lead. Or we need to begin earlier trusting Him in our lives. It's important to be an accomplished person, to have skill and to have independence. But don't ever get so independent that you forget that you need Him day by day. We do not see the risen Christ standing before us today with our physical eyes like doubting Thomas. Because somehow we forget that trust and faith will take us a greater distance down the road than seeing. Some people say seeing is believing. I don't agree with that. I'm 61 years old and, and I've been out in the early waning moments before daylight up a tree in a deer stand. I've seen things creeping around on the ground and I still don't know what they were. And it wasn't a squirrel, and it wasn't a rabbit, it wasn't a raccoon, it certainly wasn't a deer. Seeing is not always believing, because sometimes our mind and our eyes and our ears will deceive us. But when we trust God, He will never deceive us. He said, He didn't say, I'll make the road perfect. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in that situation I was talking with someone at dinner the other night, and we were talking about healing. And he had come to the understanding that healing may be good, especially if you need healing, but ultimately all healing ends at some point because we all will eventually die. And he said, you know, I'm not as excited about healing. He said, if healing brings you to faith, good. If it exalts Christ, great. Great. 
But he said, I'm looking for that ultimate healing of knowing that the Lord is always there, no matter what. And we've got to come to that place in our life where, where we understand that when our eyes are truly open on him, we don't have to worry about anything else. We can trust and obey, and then we'll realize there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. But lastly, I want you to realize this. Dedication and determination sets your pace. It, it decides what you will do. If you see and you trust and you go and you begin to get into a situation that you're not sure about, the thing to do is not to back away from it. It's not to worry about it. It's to be determined and dedicated enough to complete what God has called you to do. No matter how big the situation because all of us daily are challenged by him to do more and to be more. In September of 1938, a man who lived in Long Island had a package arrive at his home that he had ordered some months before. It was the, the finest made barometer that could be found. He had enough money to buy one and he bought it. When it arrived, he, he opened it up very carefully. It was crated up and packaged just right so it wouldn't be damaged. And he opened it up, and he hung it up on the wall, and he looked at it, and guess where the needle was pointing? Hurricane. He took it down, and he did what all of us would do when we don't like something we see. He shook it real hard, and he hung it back up there, and it moved around, and it went back to Hurricane. He got really upset. You know what he did? He wrapped it up. He crated it up again. He sent it back to them and wrote a long letter complaining about it. Three days later, he went away to visit some, some folks he was doing business with, and he arrived back home in a week, and guess what wasn't there? His home. Everything he had was taken away by the hurricane. Sometimes we have to trust God when he speaks to us and just simply say, God, I want to do what you lead me to do, whether it makes sense or not. You see, Jesus was telling the disciples and his followers, there's a hurricane coming. I've got to die. Three days later, I will be raised again. There's a purpose for this. But they didn't like the reading on the map. And they complained. You see, their story that they tell us through Scripture, especially John, because remember, he's the disciple that Jesus loved. The story is told so that we won't give up, faint, be unbelievers and walk away, but that we'll stay there through the storm, through the disaster. Does anybody here believe that the coronavirus caught God by surprise? I don't. I don't think anything ever catches him by surprise. In fact, I read the other night that, do you know that there has been a disease or a virus every year we've had an election for the last 24 years? And we're all still here. We're not going to be afraid. There, there have been tornadoes and hurricanes and storms and, and floods. And all these things. But we're still here. God preserves His people for a reason. 
Today, do you sometimes find yourself being slow to heart to believe? Don't be. Because God has a plan that's so perfect for you that you cannot doubt it. Now, when I mentioned Mr. Bill, I wasn't saying he was perfect. He wasn't perfect. But I'll tell you this, he had the perfect girlfriend because Sybil brought him here to church. He was not a believer when they met. <laughs> it didn't take him long to figure it out. And, and that's what matters. If we reach out to those that, that, that we meet and we know and we encounter and develop a friendship with, we've got an obligation to share with them. I don't care how wonderful or beautiful their life is. If their life ends in destruction and hell, their life isn't beautiful. Just the first part of it was, and the rest of it is horrible. Eternity will be terrible. That's why we need to be a people of faith. The world's going to look at television this evening, and for 15 minutes, that bridge will be famous again. Only because folks are running for office and they like free time on television. But when they clean the streets and they take away all the little, little money changers' tents, it's just us and Selma. And our work goes on. Telling their story will not bring them to faith. It takes them further from it. We need to keep telling his story to them. To all this community that's broken and savaged and has been used by many of the political types. They are victims. But we need to let them know who will set them free and free indeed. God bless you in your faithfulness. Do not give up. Never slow down. Never turn back. Your work is more important now than ever. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that in your holy word, you speak truth to us. John wrote these words not because they were flattering of, of, of John or anyone else, but because they're truth. And that truth transcends time and culture. And, and groups and, and society, it, it, it touches us even today because we're people who, who simply need to believe and trust. And God, I pray right now you would speak to someone in this room and give them an understanding of where you would have them go and to serve because their work will change intentionally and internally and eternally someone if they're found faithful. God, speak to someone this morning, and may they affirm your calling to them to serve. Whether you're calling them to salvation, or to church membership, or to baptism, or simply saying, it's time for me to share my faith. May the Holy Spirit guide, and may you follow even now. For it's in your holy name we pray, Lord. Amen.